Hey friends! We've been cataloging various species of particles for a while now, and I thought I'd break up the listing with a few stories of these particles in action. Welcome to another round of bonus episodes. This time we'll be exploring cosmic rays, or particles from space. There's one note that I need to include here about energy and units. We've been talking about the rest mass energy, the amount of energy needed to create particles, in units of MeV, that's mega electron volts or millions of electron volts. For reference, creating an electron-positron pair requires about 1 MeV. Creating a proton costs nearly 1,000 times as much energy. Today we'll be measuring energy in units of joules, which is 6 trillion MeV or so. It's a lot. It's what we use to measure the energy of macroscopic things, like baseballs. Cosmic rays are particles that have energies, at least kinetic energies, that are measured in jowls. Scary, right? Oh, also, that's jowl as in J-O-U-L-E, often mispronounced as joule, as noted for example in Linus Pauling's textbook on general chemistry. To keep things in order in our heads, it's helpful to remember the rhyme. The fools who use jewels always scowl when I report my findings in jowls. Science trivia aside, it's Time to learn about cosmic rays. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Field Guide to Particle Physics. This is your informal guide to the subatomic ecosystem that we're all immersed in. Well before the gigantic particle accelerators like the Large Hadron Collider at CERN or the Tevatron at Fermilab, particle physics was studied with balloons. Weather balloons. Well, it still is. I don't want to give an overly simplified take on the history of particle physics, but it's fair to say that physicists will study high-energy particles wherever they can find them. And it just so happens that a large number of really high-energy particles are constantly bombarding us from space. In our prior series on the alpha particle, we learned about the solar wind and how Earth's magnetic field catches much of that ionizing radiation, which we occasionally see displayed as the aurora. Well, that magnetic field is no match for these cosmic rays, which come flying at us from deeper in space with much higher velocities than anything in the solar wind. These particles smash right through the magnetosphere and into the molecules of the upper atmosphere. From our perspective on Earth, these cosmic rays appear as showers of debris left over from the high-altitude collisions of these particles, but they're happening all the time. There's so much debris out there that hundreds of particles, particles of that debris, have passed through you since you first hit play on this episode. On the 15th of October, 1991, a particle with enormous energy entered our upper atmosphere. A particle with this much energy had never been seen before on Earth, at least directly. It had tens of millions of times more energy than anything produced at the Large Hadron Collider. Tens of millions! All told, it had the kinetic energy of a baseball, moving at around 60 miles per hour. All of that packed into a single particle, and it was heading right for us. The first thing it found upon arrival at Earth was the magnetic field. But traveling at such a high speed, it barely noticed the deflecting force and smashed right through into our atmosphere. 
Even in the rarefied air of our upper atmosphere, tens of kilometers above the Earth's surface, there's still plenty of molecules to go around. Way more than you'll find in outer space. And what do particles from space with a ton of energy do when suddenly surrounded by a bunch of molecules? Well, they spend it. That poor first molecule it encountered didn't stand a chance. Whether it simply lost an electron or got completely blown apart is hard to say, but that incident cosmic ray quickly broke apart into a shower of particles high above the Earth. Pions were certainly created, but with that much energy, 50-ish jowls of energy, all kinds of particles from the lambda zeros to the kaons to the cascades and sigma baryons could have been present, and all of them decayed as they usually do. The resulting shower of decays grew wider and wider until the final resultant charged pions decayed into muons, and the neutral pions decayed into photons, and any high-energy photons left over decayed into electron-positron pairs that would in turn radiate the rest of that energy away. The final blast of radiation filled a circle kilometers wide that slammed into the U.S. Army's Dugway Proving Ground in the Utah desert, and, as luck would have it, right into the detectors of a physics experiment. The detectors measured the resultant spray and were able to back calculate the energy of the original impinging particle from space. This aptly named Oh My God particle was far and away the highest energy particle ever detected by humans. To date, it's not entirely clear what would accelerate such a particle to such outrageous speeds. And the current candidates for such accelerators are, frankly, terrifying. In some respects, cosmic rays are kind of like earthquakes. There's a lot more little ones than there are big ones. For earthquakes, big ones with lots of shaking and lots of energy released, magnitudes 7, 8, or 9, are mercifully fairly uncommon around the world. Smaller ones, like magnitudes 1s or 2s, happen almost every day here in the Pacific Northwest. Cosmic rays follow a similar law. Cosmic rays with energies around 1,000 MeV arrive almost continuously from every direction, whereas cosmic rays with energies of a million times that might strike you or near you maybe a few times per year. Those ultra-high-energy cosmic rays, a bit like that oh-my-god particle, whose energies can be measured in macroscopic units like jowls, they might strike your whole town maybe once a year, if that. As scientists would say, the frequency depends inversely upon the energy. More precisely, the frequency is derived from a power law. A power law for cosmic rays implies that the relative likelihood of two events with two distinct energies is proportional to their ratio, raised to some exponent. Power laws are simple enough to understand, but difficult to explain. Bigger cosmic rays are less common, sure, but what's difficult to explain about a power law is that little number, that scaling exponent. Where does that come from? Well, it's a collective effect. All the things inside and outside our galaxy that throw cosmic rays at us contribute to that effect. Other stars and planets sometimes get in the way and capture some of those particles contributing to that effect. Cosmic rays in interstellar space sometimes decay or interact with other stuff en route, turning into other particles with somewhat lower energy, muddying things a bit, contributing to that effect. Magnetic fields in space, like the ones surrounding our Earth, deflect cosmic rays ever so slightly, again, contributing to that effect. 
It's a bit like studying earthquakes. There are just so many moving parts, and we just don't know all the details. Despite all this complexity, the shape of the cosmic ray power law can tell us a lot about the nature of cosmic rays. For example, at the highest end, for those particles coming in with the highest energies, the power law for cosmic rays actually changes a little bit. It flattens out. It becomes slightly less sensitive to energy. Ultra-high-energy cosmic ray aficionados call this change the ankle. The ankle represents a cut in the cosmic ray spectrum at about half a jowl of kinetic energy. There's this pretty good plot that physicists who study these kinds of things have made. I'll include links to such a picture in the show notes. It's a small effect on a small fraction of the total number of cosmic rays that we see on Earth. But to astrophysicists who study these things, it says a lot. Namely, this kink or ankle in the power law suggests a possible change in where those cosmic rays are coming from. The leading explanation is that those ultra-high-energy cosmic rays, those cosmic rays with kinetic energies greater than half a jowl or so, are coming from outside our galaxy. Which is just as well, because it's hard to imagine anything inside our own galaxy capable of accelerating individual microscopic particles up to macroscopic energies. The possibilities are just too frightening. Next time, we'll explore what kinds of objects in space serve as particle accelerators millions of times more powerful than anything humans have ever built. See you then. This has been an installment of the Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Poseidon Institute. Thank you so much for listening. For a full, free, online copy of the Field Guide, please visit our website at poseidon.org or follow us on Instagram. We've got a lot of other resources for you there. At the Poseidon Institute, we're on a mission to build and share physics knowledge without barriers. Come learn with us. 